announcement before we get going on this uh, uh, question period. Uh, you have there's lots of time to finish eating. Uh, I just want to, uh, by a show of hands, could you please tell us how many here graduated from U of L or went to U of L? That's not bad. That's pretty good. And another thing I'd like to mention is that this is the, actually the official launch of uh, SACPA's, uh, SACPA's magazine, 50th anniversary magazine. Uh, Mike alluded to it a little bit. Uh, we have them here for sale after the, I didn't want to sell them before because you may have been uh, busy studying it while Mike spoke. So we will sell them right after the session and they will be on sale here uh, regularly at every session from now on. I also like to mention that uh, a university student was uh, uh, the uh, basically put the magazine together for us. With there was a committee that worked on it, uh, including uh, Heather Oxman, uh, Bev Mandel, Athstone, and but Daisy Walker was the uh, the main main person putting it together. So we were thankful for for her uh, having done that. <coughs> I also like to recognize the SACPAS relationship with the uh, university, which goes back a long, long time. They, uh, they support us financially now uh, with a check every year. Thank you very much, Nancy. Uh, it used to be so they paid for the postage. And I'm thinking that if a university was to send out 200 letters every week uh, to our membership, uh, I think we probably is almost getting that same amount of money in cash now instead. So that works out very well for us because we are uh, in a situation where we pay some wages. <coughs> I also like to uh, to uh, recognize, uh, uh, Mike uh, already did, but I like to recognize uh, Dennis Connolly. He's a 50-year man and he's getting his honorary degree uh, on June the 1st at the university in the afternoon, so give him a hand. And as well, M Mike already got ahead of me on that one too, but uh, Gary Bowie, who's uh, uh, been a big part of the university athletic department over the years, and even at the college, he uh, got things going at the college in terms of starting the Alberta uh, colleges Athletic Association. So I'd like to recognize him uh, for getting his uh, Alberta uh, Excellence uh, Award. <coughs> the highest honor you can get in Alberta, so anything, any awards he gets from now on will be, you know, <laughs> small potatoes. Uh, Two more small things I'd like to mention. The, uh, Gordon Campbell, as you know, a uh, big part of SACPA and one of the main mainstays of SACPA over the years up until uh, some years ago. Uh, so we've decided to uh, honor him with uh, a memorial, annual memorial speaker series. Uh, so uh, the university has some speaker series as well, so we're going to have one of our own, and uh, this 
June the 15th, Thursday, we have a Gordon Holden coming to speak about China, uh, relationships with China and situation in China. He's one of the foremost uh, experts on China and Canada, so we're lucky to have him. So we will name that uh, session in honor of Gordon. Uh, one more thing about Gordon, a memorial service will be held this Saturday at MacKillop in conjunction with a service being held in Vancouver. So I encourage people to come out and uh, I know there will be uh, some sandwiches and, uh, and at, yeah, at 12 noon, yeah. Uh, so uh, hopefully we'll get some people to come out for that, that would be awesome. And now I'll just turn it over to Haley. Thanks for coming, Haley. Haley, by the way, is the student union president. Thank you so much, Knud. That's awesome. Um, all right. So at this point, I will get us set up to go ahead with our Q&A session uh, for the remainder of today's um, series. Um, so uh, before I do that, I just wanted to give a quick reminder to everybody, actually, uh, next week, um, our topic is going to be uh, quite similar. Um, we're going to be looking at the Lethbridge College at 60, so past, present, and future challenges and opportunities, and that talk will be by uh, Dr. Paula Burns, who's the eighth president and CEO of the Lethbridge College. So um, if you're interested in that, please be sure to come back next week. Okay, so... Um, just restating um, our topic, the 50th uh, anniversary of the UofL with Dr. Mike Mann, our president. Um, we are going to be um, taking a couple questions. So we have a micro uh, microphone set up on this uh, side of the room. So if you'd like to come up and ask a question, we just ask that you come up and do so now. Please keep questions uh, brief and to the point, one or two questions each. Um, and yeah, that's great. At this point, we'll welcome back up Mike Mann. Thanks, Haley. So I'm happy to answer any questions. So Mike, I don't see anybody else oh, at, there the, you are. at the at the oh. mic here. So my name is Knut Peterson. Uh, thanks very much for coming today, Mike, and I really appreciate the university support uh, for SACPA. It's uh, we probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for university. I'm quite sure of that. Uh, my question relates to. Uh, the athletic department. You're probably surprised to that I would ask a question about the athletic. I really am, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the sustainability of athletics at the university level in Canada is, uh, I think, is probably a little bit at risk uh, with the funding models being. Uh, it's not working. Well, I can hear. Yeah, I think I can hear. Anyway, uh, can you hear me? <coughs> yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. So, Mike, could you uh, speculate on uh, where we might go with that? Because, uh, as we all know, U United States is a different ball game. They they get spectators paying for the programs most places. In in Canada, not so. Uh, so, do you have any uh, good ideas about where we might be going with that? Thanks, Knut. Uh, well, first of all, I wouldn't say 
I have any a magic bullet to solve that uh, challenge. I'll, I'll start off by saying that. I do, right now I chair um, the board of Youth uh, Sport in Canada, which used to be called CIS, which is the National Association of all of the 56 universities in Canada that have uh, sport programs. So I am pretty familiar with uh, that landscape. And I would agree with 100% with Canute. Um, it is a challenging context. We did a review of our university athletics program a few years ago uh, with an eye to trying to figure out how, how to maximize support to our student athletes and um, also ensure that we were being um, competitive as a university. And by, not, by competitive, I don't necessarily mean just winning games, uh, but, but competitive in terms of providing the supports to our student athletes that they deserve in relation to other universities in Canada. As a result of that review, we actually infused a uh, new $400,000 into um, our budget, thanks to Nancy, who controls all of the purse strings at the university. Um, and, uh, and that was an important infusion of resources. The cha and the, the concept was that we would infuse $400,000. We would commit to that over, I think, three years, Nancy, if I remember correctly. And at the same time, we would look to um, raise more revenue externally from uh, various sources, sponsorships, uh, promotion, um, fundraising, etc. And I can say, I think we're, are we two years in? We're two years in and we're not doing as well as we would like to, I'll, I'll be honest. We're not seeing this, the, we're seeing greater success, but we're not seeing as much success as we'd like to. Our, our concept was by the end of the four years, we'd be able to kind of remove the $400,000 and have it um, uh, supported and more by the community and that hasn't really come to fruition as much as we'd like so I think the challenge for uh, university sport in Canada is the same challenge for academic programming in, in Canada to be honest and that is that the resources that we received from the province has been have shrunken over the years uh, they're not getting bigger and the demands in terms of what we are expected to deliver as a university have continued to increase and not just from an academic programming perspective, but everything from, you know, the extent to which we account for the resources we receive from an audit perspective, to how we um, focus on sustainability for the campus. I could I could list probably 20 things that the university didn't have to do 20 years ago that it has to do today, and all of those things have cost more money to the university. So 20 years ago, um, not having to deliver on those 20 things has meant that we were able to do more things with the money that we had. So uh, the Canute, I would say that the more, the short answer to this is that um, we have to find more external revenue because I don't see the university's funding from the government increasing substantially uh, over the next number of years. I think, in fact, if anything, uh, it will decrease. If we look across the border to the south, uh, there are universities that are called state or publicly funded universities that now receive less than 10% of their funding from uh, the state government. So a good example is Arizona State, one of the largest universities. I think there are over 90,000 students now. I think they receive 8% of their funding from the state government, yet they're called a publicly funded institution. Right now we are far better than that and so we spend a lot of time talking very positively with government about all the great things that they're doing that we're doing that we can do together. And I think that's, that's the reality, that's what we're going to have to keep doing. But I, I would say that um, we are committed 100% to our, our um, 
Pronghorn Athletics. I think it's a very, very important part of our university, just as I think our fine arts programs are so vital to, to what we do. And so we have no intent on, on moving away from our commitment. We just have to find other ways to, to keep finding new resources. <coughs> yeah, Terry Shellington here. Thank you very much for being here. I appreciate your uh, presentation. Um, I'd like to go back to your, your brief references to the number of students. And you, you said, as I, I, I expect there will be, that there would be ongoing discussion about what the appropriate ceiling was. Yep. Um, yet I'm guessing that you probably have some working hypothesis in your head. I'd like to put you on the spot about that. Sure. How do, how do you see the... I was waiting for an on-the-spot kind of question, so that's yeah. good. <coughs> well, stick your toe, uh, put your toes to the fire here a little yeah. bit. Um, I'm wondering what, how, how you see the maximum size of the sure. university. Do you see it someday arriving at fifteen or 20,000, or do you see a ceiling that is uh, appropriate for the facilities you have? Right. Great question. Um, and not an on-the-spot question because I think it's an important question for um, a university to be thinking about and for a university president not to duck. And so um, I would say that uh, my sense of the university, and again, this is Mike Mann um, answering the question. It's not an official position of the University of Lethbridge, though it's supported by um, an official position of the U of L, which is something that we call our recruitment and retention strategy. So we actually have developed a strategy that is very clearly articulated with how we see ourselves growing over the next number of years. And I can tell you our recruitment and retention strategy envisions very modest growth at the undergraduate level, more significant growth at the graduate level, but with an aspiration to not grow to 15 or 20,000, to, to be much more likely um, at you know, the foreseeable future to be more in the 10,000, 11,000 range um, at, at best uh, for a few reasons. Uh, reason number one, the demographics in Canada actually do not suggest uh, that growth in academic institutions is sustainable over the next 10 uh, or more years, it, especially if you look out east in, in Ontario, Quebec, Atlantic Canada. Uh, enrollments are decreasing, they're not increasing. Alberta is a bit of a different context, right? We continue to be a province that has seen increased growth. And interestingly, Lethbridge has uh, seen uh, increased growth on a, on a regular basis. But the overall Canadian context, the overall U.S. context, uh, would suggest that growth, significant growth, is, is probably not a, a good aspiration. The second reason is that um, we really think our sweet spot is in continuing to create opportunities for young people to go to a school that has smaller class sizes, that has a, a, a really positive student to faculty ratio, that is focused on liberal education as a core foundation, and that, that at the end of the day um, is a university that graduates students that look back and say, wow, that was a really fantastic student experience I had at the University of Lethbridge both in the classroom as well outside, outside of the classroom, as well as in the community of Lethbridge. And so our sense is that it's difficult to maintain that if you become 20, 25,000 students. And you know, prior to um, me being president of the University of Lethbridge, I was a dean at the U of A where there are now over 40,000 students. Prior to that, I was an associate dean at the University of Manitoba, 30, 25 to 30,000 students. So I know that big university context very well. And I know what we offer is very different. 
remarkably different than what big universities offer. And I think there's a real argument for us to maintain that uh, as, as a vision. I enjoyed your presentation, and uh, especially when you got to the future focus. Yes. I'm one of those uh, U of A guys from the big bad university. That's okay. I am too. I'm a grad of the U of A too. <laughs> uh, what I would like to suggest of why the university and college and a lot of other things are even possible in the city of Lethbridge. If you take away the irrigation equation and our irrigation base and foundation, not unlike Drumheller, coal and railroads, uh, take away the irrigation from southern Alberta, we would be a Drumheller. We would not have a university or a college or eight multinationals and all the agribusiness. Off of a 5% land base, we produce 20% of Alberta's agricultural GNP. So in this dreaming about the future, wouldn't it be easier to get to establishing a faculty of agriculture in this diverse, intensive area, yeah. maybe it's easier to do than engineering or medicine yeah. or or, uh, or law. Yeah. Yeah. So I know we're working on and uh, we're on on track for a, a degree, combined degree with the college and uh, university, for an agri business degree, which is yeah. a real plus. But. Just marry that up with a faculty of agriculture. Yeah. Thank you. You bet. And uh, uh, it's a great comment. And, and I, I actually, somebody mentioned at the table, and I was remiss in not talking about agriculture because, in fact, any of you have listened to me talk in recent times, I've talked a lot about agriculture. And we really do see agriculture as, as, a, as a very important part of the future of the UofL. You mentioned the uh, agribusiness program with Lethbridge College. And, and beyond that, um, some really important um, agribusiness as well as agricultural research activities. We just recently, in the last few years, um, were able to uh, hire a chair in, in potato studies in collaboration with uh, the potato producers and growers, and that person is now on campus uh, figuring out what the best potato is for the best french fry in Canada, as an example, uh, which is an important question. Um, so we see agriculture as, as a really important part of our future and you know as for a faculty of agriculture my my sense of that landscape um, as a guy that thinks a lot about how to make things work politically is that our um, our best strategy is to build capacity in ag in a, in a number of areas ag business um, ag research um, such that at one point um, denying us a faculty of agriculture would be a very difficult thing to do and when I look at the evolution of academic programs from an academic program into a school in, or a department into a, fa a school into a faculty the losing proposition is just to draw a line in the sand and say we want a faculty of agriculture when there's not enough evidence to suggest there's merit for a fac faculty of agriculture the, the winning proposition is to get to a point where the government says yeah, that does make a lot of sense. You've got so many things in ag going. You sh you should have a faculty of agriculture. And so, um, you know, don't let it leave this room. Don't tell um, your your uh, colleagues at the U of A that that is our master plan. Please. <laughs> My name is Van Christou, and if I may be permitted uh, to follow up on one of the earlier questions regarding growth of the University of Lethbridge. 
Uh, I can tell you that uh, our founding board of governors at the university in 1967 decided that, that this university would never exceed 5,000 students. <laughs> now that gives you a little idea of how much we know about the future. Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, and I can only say that it's the brilliant people that we had in, in Mike's position of leadership that has led us through this forest and in uh, 50 years and done it so brilliantly that, that the university has grown so well and has become really a, a national institution. Uh, we would never have believed that. Uh, when, this, when the idea for this university was sold to the provincial government, it was through our, our premier at that time, Ernest Manning. And it was on the basis of having it a, an alternative to the two multi-universities in Calgary and Edmonton. To be a small, continuing small university and to, to focus on, on, the, on the liberal arts. Um, Ernest Manning bought that idea or we would never have had this university because it happened, as, as Mike said, a year after Calgary got its charter in 1966. And uh, you can understand that even here in Lethbridge, people didn't believe it could happen. But they certainly not only didn't believe it could happen, but it worked to you, you uh, face the, the challenges as they come along and we're lucky. Um, student range and uh, he was telling me about the history of York University which I did never grow um, to the level it did and now you look at it at 60 or 70,000 students. Hi Mike, can you hear me? This is Rob Mahedden talking. Table, I've common conversation is, is there any plans for parking? Answer this question. So um, we do have some, some um, musing to uh, enable folks to get to campus. So we are um, doing some thinking. We do know that um, parking is a challenge. Now, Van was just telling me about unmanned vehicles and all these sorts of things. I'm going to go online and look at that. And so, you know, this is also best uh, support parking on campus. Um, and so we are waiting fraternity that uh, gets beaten up. But it is, of course, Rob, an important question. Freedom of speech. So how do you explain the suppression of radicalism such a association between the two and yet at the same time always have our eye on the maybe uh, difficult for them or or um, beyond and so a particular perspective if we receive enough complaints but both in go uh, into any detail because it's a personnel matter has been to first of all and to consider whether or not this is something that needed to be considered they have decided uh, are outside the bounds of what we consider acceptable does that mean that we're active and freedom, the protection of free speech with all of those that are potentially influenced by course, These are never easy um, things to grapple with. And over the time of their presidency, did they have to deal with some very, very difficult, and they would say they did their best to make sure that they took all factors into account, and that's what we're trying to do. Um, Austin Fennell. Uh, thanks, Mike, for coming in and speaking to us. You're welcome. Um, I'm going to, was in the top of her class in high school. <clears throat> had no trouble seeking it part-time in two restaurants. Yep. And the question really comes out of that. Yeah, well, it's a, a great question. And, um, you know, I, I refer to the example of um, your, um, their budget is paid for by the university or by the, the state governments. And so we have seen escalation in, in um, and so I would say um, I, I give a lot of um, 
uh, kudos to both the federal and the provincial governments in Canada who have continued the same manner. And so uh, on the one hand, I would say, I sort of flip it back, we're now well beyond university, but hopefully I'll have grandchildren one day. The way my grandchildren, tremendous public education we have here in Canada is um, by ensuring that we as citizens continue to tell our guys the consistency of quality. There are 97 universities in Canada, public support uh, from our governments. And so the, the future is really about ensuring that our, our politicians uh, continue to value public education so that we don't see the escalation of, of to be um, very good at um, stretching a dollar as far as so important because uh, and, and why I actually have said to all of my colleagues across uh, budget and have no audit notes uh, on a year-to-year -year basis, find a Dutch accountant and you will, you will do really well as a university. There's that do such a great job in stretching our dollars as far as they can go. So I would say it's a combination of being, in, being um, really government to continue to support public education. So just before we take the next question, if I might jump in, we're getting towards the end of our... Please. And my question will relate and, and request your musings, a word example. <clears throat> Roughly 10 years ago, our son was uh, uh, immigration off that the, the value to Canada of sending students and selling cars to Canada. Mm -hmm. So the relationship on the value of foreign students, the growth in foreign students... ...in Canada, Australia, etc. And, and I would argue that the drive for internationalization has been particularly focused on the, the economics of you know, two or three times uh, for a foreign student and, and, and make the case that those same students, families, and so there's the, the reason for it. Um, I think the balancing act, and one that we're very mindful of at the experience by requiring them to um, spend the kind of dollars they spend but not provide the kind of dollars that they pay. And so we've been careful not to see our are entities in Eastern Canada that have between 30 and 40 percent of their um, campuses international students and I would argue that our vision around internationalization is to continue to grow be in the tent so in a way that ensures that uh, the students have a good experience faculty members have a good experience with those international students the campus and the city benefit from the internationalization of having um, uh, people from 80 or 90 uh, countries around the world. And I think um, that s sort of slow but steady um, approach with a vision as to what this experience should look like is what we're really focused on. But having said that, the dollars do help, and there's no question about it. Thank yes. you, Mike, for your talk. Mary Shillington, I'm a retired uh, social worker. Uh, so I see students coming out with massive debts for their uh, uh, tuition and other things and then can't get jobs. Yeah. Uh, so uh, as a social worker, we had practicums and that was a really yeah. le good lead into a job. So what's happening with cooperatives and other things like that for students so that they're coming out and they're not having to work at McDonald's but yeah. they're getting a job in their area? It's a great question. So that's a very strong focus of ours. Um, I don't know if a lot of people, many people don't know that the uh, U of L had the first uh, co-op uh, experience for, for business students in Alberta. We had co-op programs before the U of C or the U of A and um, it's not a widely known fact and it's an important fact because it underscores that the U of L has actually been committed to co-op uh, experiences for, for many years. So one of the things that we are, um, are looking at as part of our 
um, liberal education strategy is to continue to build um, co-op experiences, applied study experiences for our students, international experiences for our students to go abroad and, and other places. Uh, because we see that as a broadening opportunity for our students, both in terms of how they grow as people, as citizens, but we also know exactly what you've pointed out, that those students that have good co-op experiences, and I would, I would um, um, put education in, in that same sort of realm as a, as a discipline that's done a great job in creating co-op experiences for their students. So our aspirations are very much about growing co-op experiences, applied studies experiences for our students. Before I, I before you finish, I just I would be, be neglectful if I didn't um, say that uh, we're really excited about all of our 50th anniversary uh, um, opportunities, and we do have a great and exciting weekend um, this coming uh, long weekend in September. Uh, uh, it's a it's called Shine On, and it will be a whole bunch of different things, including an outdoor concert in our stadium, but also a number of lectures and other experiences. So I encourage you to go to the website and look at that weekend because there will be something for everyone, and uh, we hope to see as many different members of the community and alumni come out and help us celebrate our homecoming weekend. So that's my plug. Chris Horbachewski's sitting here. If I hadn't said that, he would have given me a. Uh, earful the whole way home uh, back to campus. So with that, I'll uh, turn it over to Haley. <laughs>